Hello, everyone, and welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. So midway through our recording of the discussion of Chapter 8, Crystal and I realized that we'd been talking for over an hour and a half, which is typically where we finish recording for the other chapters. In other words, this was a really long one filled with a lot of material to cover. Either that or Crystal and I just like to talk a lot. Either way, we're splitting this discussion into two parts, and this is the first. We'll release the second part of this at the usually scheduled time next week, so look forward to that second part, and enjoy this one. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. So we are on chapter V-I-I-I, so it's five, six, seven, eight. We're on chapter eight. Seriously, Roman numerals are terrible. The worst system of writing down numbers ever. And the thing that kills me is the Super Bowls are counted by the by Roman numerals. So, all right, it's Super Bowl X, 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 V, what the? So this quote is by Goeth, who wrote Faust. Gotha. Sorry. The only reason I know that is because you looked it up for the reading. And you said, and it, said and it, and I went, Gotha. All right. <laughs> so he's German. Gotha. Johann Wolfgang von Gotha wrote Faust. Oh. So I came across a different translation because it's German. And so translating into English is... Up to the eye of the beholder. Or what they... Yeah. It, that's that's visual. I, I know. Whatever. So the... <laughs> She has the German translation, which I did not attempt to read, <laughs> but it's the exact same for this, this translation. My father gave my stature tall and rule of life decorous. My mother, my nature genial and joy in making stories. Goes on to say, full well, my grandsire loved the fair, a tendency that lingers. My granddam, golden gems so rare, an itch still in the fingers. If no part from this complex all can now be separated, what can you name original that is in me created? Gotcha. Which applies very well to what she's going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing does. Yeah. He's, he's saying, you know, what if everything is based on my father, my mother, my grandsire, my granddam, what's original about me? Yeah. No, that makes sense. And she talks about that for quite a bit. This topic of heredity is one that we've covered several times now, where we've looked at if you are only the sum of what your parents were, then what's the point? And so we've already refuted that, that heredity is all we are. You remember where that was? I, I don't. We're going to find it. And it's we gonna, are. Oh, look, I just flipped to it. As to heredity. And where page is 31. That? We are taught, for example, that heredity is by no means the simple and direct transmission from parent or remote ancestor to child of power and proclivity, virtue, and defect. That's chapter four. So we've talked about this, and, and that's only one instance. I know we've talked about it in several places where we're not, we're not only the sum of our parts or the parts that we got from our parents. We are ourselves, and we can grow and change and, and become something new. The definition of heredity is the passing on of physical or mental characteristics genetically from one generation to another. And she's saying that they do take it into account when, especially when you write a biography or anything, 
Mm-hmm. The progenitor, which is the person or thing from which a person, animal, or plant is descended or originates. So they always go and look for what happened in the past and who they were and how sure. did that shape who they were. It's the same nature versus nurture debate that continues today. Right. Well, and there's there's definitely something to that. We do get from our parents quite a bit. We get a lot of physical attributes at the very least. She talks later in this chapter about some of the character attributes we get from our parents. We inherit a lot of those base instincts from our parents. And she moves on to talk about how it affects mm-hmm. education. By and by will have its bearing, heredity will have its bearing on the loose notions that people hold about education. So the question is, can the child help it? Can his parents help it? Or is he doomed? It's a and good she- question. And she, she answers it, right? Uh, eventually i think i i'm not quite sure but that is a good question to keep in mind because she goes as she goes throughout this chapter that's i think one of the questions that's in the back of her mind Mm -hmm. is can we do anything about that and she talks about us professional teachers as missing the mark the development of faculties is the chief object and she she says that's false. Again, that's the whole, she says something that's generally accepted and then says, nope, don't believe that. Right. So we're going to talk, she talks for a minute about what the common thoughts and practices are among professional teachers are at this day and age, which she disagrees with. She She goes to... She says, hey, we're missing the mark. And then she says, this is what they need. And the child, just like they crave food and water and sleep, they crave knowledge, perfection, beauty, power, society. And what they need is opportunity. Give him opportunities of loving and learning, and he will love and learn, for tis his nature too. So I had a question. Okay. What happens... If you are not given opportunities of loving and learning, what if you're given the opposite? So I listened to, oh, I don't have a bookmark because I want to look up the name and the podcast number because I listened to a fascinating podcast with (gasps) Joe Rogan. That's the one. He interviewed, uh, (laughs) right? We went through this list. So there was a question on a Facebook group that was, you know, what podcast do you listen to? And I was like, oh, I listen to podcasts. So I listed out the podcasts I listen to based on kind of the category. And I was at seven. I was like, wow, that's a lot. So then I tell my <laughs> husband, hey, I have all these podcasts I listen to. And he li- laughs and uh, very quickly rattles off 17 that he listens to regularly. Yep. Regularly. <laughs> and at least, what, six of them were basketball ones? <laughs> There were a lot. I listened to a lot of podcasts. Ian Grillo is a journalist who spent the last 18 years reporting on the drug war in Mexico. He wrote a book called El Narco, Inside Mexico's Criminal Insurgency and Gangsters Warlords. One of the interesting things he talked about in those books is he talked about the cultural climate that can produce gangsters and 
children killers. And the fact that the gangsters look for children who are angry, children who hate, children who don't have good parents, children who have no opportunities. And he said that those people who are out to enlist children, they see a child with good parents and they leave that child alone. They go, there's, there's nothing we can do with a child with good parents who loves and loves learning and loves life. You're not going to turn that child into an assassin, ruthless killer. You're going to get a child who hates everything, who life has really just took a dump on. That's the child you're going to get. So what happens when you have no love or opportunity for education? You get taken advantage of by people who want to twist your mind. Yeah. Again, I'm going to go back. uh, I mentioned in our last discussion, the show, The Wire, and that is in uh, in Boston and much Baltimore. I'm sorry, you're right. It's in Baltimore. You didn't even watch the show and you know that. It's in Baltimore. And much the same much the same reality is true in that show. And again, it's a TV show. So so it's not actual reality. But I think the reality is true that the children in in situations that the the children depicted in that show live where there is no opportunity for education or for higher learning. There is no money. There is no structured, loving parents, plural. The The family structures are broken. The societal structures are broken. They're not learning everything, and they're given... The only opportunities they're given are gangland and violence. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they go, because that's the opportunity, because that's where you can learn and make a name for yourself. That makes sense. You were saying also going on the parents one. And that's that's why get, give them opportunities of loving and learning and he will love and learn. And that goes to show you again how the the parents attitude affects the learning regardless of whether the child's in yeah. public school, private school, uh homeschool. Charlotte Mason School. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name drop another podcast that I was listening to not too long ago. This was the, the Ben Shapiro show. Ben Shapiro did an interview with a gentleman by the name of Arthur Brooks. Arthur Brooks is the president of the American Enterprise Institute, and he's the best-selling author of Love Your Enemies. And so they sat down to, to, have a, to do a show, and the question came up about how do you how do you fix wage disparity how do you how do you fix the welfare system how do you handle all of these things and arthur's arthur and and ben both agreed at one point during the show that the main reason or the main a common denominator yeah thank you a common denominator in all people who are not successful in life who become failures are that they don't have a father at home and they don't have love at home. Hold that thought. I have a quote. Thought is being held. Oh, okay. A friend posted this on her Facebook um, and they are going into ministry uh, to fatherless and children with absent fathers. But Which I need to find it. a huge need in the United States right now and elsewhere also. Okay, this is a quote from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 
Today, for the first time in America's history, the average expected experience of childhood now includes living in the absence of one's natural father. That's the average? The average expected experience. Wow. Well, and that group is the 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 group that you listed. I, that's the same that's the same statistic that Shapiro likes to quote. Department of Health and Human Services. They are a very left-leaning organization. So, that's a statistic that is real and it has serious serious ramifications. So, that I I think I think that goes to answer that question. Now, now all that to be said, that's not to say that if you're a single parent or if you're a child in a single parent home, there's no hope for you. No, no, because not that's at all. Absolutely not at all. Not what we're saying. Not at all. Not at all. Because there are single parent homes where children come out of that and they thrive. And there are single parent homes that that are are great. But like most of the things that we're talking about right now, we're looking at the ideal. So I, I want to make sure that that disclaimer is is well said that just because you might be a single parent, that does not mean you're a failure of a parent and your child is destined to be a failure. In no way is that what we're saying. So let's continue then. <laughs> Having said that, so she goes on to talk about here, uh, she has. She says, many a man got his turn for natural science. Hold on, hold on. I need to back up. Sorry. There's a sentence there that you missed. A single sentence. <laughs> Everything she has, says is, is potent. But this, this applies so well. We think the fuss we make about the right studies for developing these is like asking, how should we get a hungry man to eat his dinner? Mm-hmm. The fuss that we make about the right studies. Uh, that's me. I'm over here, you know, worried about what we're teaching, what we're doing, and, you know, stressing about is this the right math curriculum or is this, which actually that was not a stress of mine, but that's a big stress out there. Or foreign language, or is this the right history book? Which or, writing book? Which write All of those that the the fuss about the right studies is not the most important thing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it's re- uh, relieving. There's another word. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. No, but, but it goes back to conversations that you and I have had even about uh, the children and, and as they're growing. We've had, we've had some conversations where Crystal's been, agonizing over what we're supposed to be doing and we're not doing enough or oh maybe we're doing too much or or who knows what and when she starts saying those things my typical reaction is i mean are we doing something (laughs) is at some point is he gonna know how to read our our children are gonna learn to read they're gonna learn their numbers yeah we're good yeah yep so that's that's the the fuss is not the most important thing Anyways, now we can talk about the bent for natural science. We can. We can. I I will say, though, I think that that goes into, I know when I was a kid, I did countless criteria or countless curriculum. This is curriculi, curriculums. Curricula. Curricula. Wow. 
curricula. I did countless curricula because every year was I was a different person. I have a list of Charlotte Mason curricula, and that's the word I used on the back. CharlotteMasonSays.com slash curricula. I'm glad you didn't consult me because I would have said something like curriculums is... I can't spell curriculum very well, but I... for some reason I can spell curricula. <laughs> so don't ask me. <laughs> that's funny. No, but I know I know I did any number of things. I just just going from from second grade to twelfth grade. I I can't tell you the number of different curricula I used, and I know my brothers both did different things than I did. So I don't think it's as big a deal as a lot of people try to make it out to be that you must follow this specific criteria for curriculum. It's along the lines of just. Just do it. Just do it. Just get started. You want to read a book to your child? Go to your bookshelf and grab a book and yeah. read a book. And find what find what works for your family and do that. And if what you're doing isn't working, then do something else. And make your children hungry so they'll eat their dinner. Right? We're 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 homeschoolers. That's the whole thing. We're we're anti establishment. No, our children are homeschoolers. No, we're homeschoolers too. I guess we're home- We are homeschooling. Homeschool homeschool whatever. teachers. I don't know. Is there a word? I don't. Home, we're home educators. That's the word. Nice. Yeah. We're home educators. And as home educators, we get to make up our own what we're doing. And sure, you can take it to extremes one way or the other. But so long as you're doing something, I, I'm of the opinion that you're good. Knowledge, perfection, beauty, power, society. And give them opportunity. There you go. There's another list somewhere later in this chapter. There's a couple lists in this chapter. Natural so she, science. <laughs> yeah, she goes on to. Now <laughs> we can finally get to this. I'm glad you stopped me because that's that's good. I had the second half of that highlighted, but not the first half because I just missed that. So many a man got his turn for natural science because as a boy, he lived in the country and had a chance to observe living things in their ways. That is the reason we have national parks. Absolutely. I didn't put that together, but yeah, absolutely. I I don't know, a couple of years back now, uh, listened to a book called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. And that's how Teddy Roosevelt was raised. He was a sickly child. He had asthma or something. And so he, he didn't go to school. He had a, a tutor. Mm-hmm. And he had free reign of, I think it was New York, I want to say some forest in New York and was actually a pretty good taxidermist. <laughs> and oh, nice. so he, he had this intimate love and knowledge of nature and he wrote history books and nature books. Like he actually is an author. Interesting. As I well. didn't know that. Teddy Roosevelt was fast, like is fascinating. And this, this book, the rise of Theodore Roosevelt brought him up to when he got the call that Taft had died. Taft, McKinley. McKinley had died. And he became president. Hmm. And it doesn't take him into his presidency. But it was, he is a fascinating man. So um, that's how that's how he got his start. That's how he got his start. And as president, he is the one that established the national park system. Gotcha. And so because of a boy in the country who got a bend for natural science, we have national parks. Right. Which are under threat because people nowadays are not getting out there and are not going to the national park. I take that back. They are going to the national parks. 
but the in general the love of natural science is not there mm-hmm. um i read a quote i i don't want to say it's in the lo- last child in the woods but i'm not sure but a child knows more about the polar ice caps melting than he does about the trees on his street we're so concerned about the macro that we're ignoring the micro. And we don't learn the micro. It's not that we don't care about the micro. It's that we don't know it. We don't know what's next door. And like she said here, yeah. this this um, man of culture who lived in the country didn't know a thrush from a blackbird. If, a, if the boy's mind is crammed with other matters, he has no opportunity. And you may meet men of culture who have lived most of their lives in the country and don't know a thrush from a blackbird. There's too much going on in his brain for him to spend the time to get to know the things that are outside of his own house. And so that that brought me, that line of thinking brought me to the thought that we have to keep teaching the next generation and, and the generational loss, whether it's of faith or of love of nature or freedom. And there's a quote from Ronald Reagan that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. So we have to do it. We have to learn about nature. We have to teach our kids about nature. They have to teach their kids about nature. And it has to continue being taught. Yeah. Because if the one middle generation is lax, then the grandchildren don't get it at all. Well, we're seeing that in the United States right now with a couple different things. Yeah. We're seeing that in the United States with Christianity and the church. We're seeing that with freedom currently. Mm-hmm. There's a huge movement to make the U.S. more socialist or completely socialist. It's a huge movement and it's a youth movement. All of the people our age, and that's a gross exaggeration. And and we've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but but it's worth mentioning that our youth are not fighting for their own freedom because they weren't taught to. They weren't taught to love it. I heard that people are not getting their driver's licenses anymore. Mm-hmm. Where for our parents and our generation, it was, you know, hey, I'm 16. I get to drive. These, This is freedom. I get a drive. I get a job. And people aren't getting their driver's license till they're 21 because they don't see the need. Man, as soon as I could... As soon as I could drive a car, I was gone. I think I was in Maryland and they had the graduated provisional license system. Mm -hmm. And so you could get your provisional or learners or something at 15 and nine months. I got mine at 15 and 10 months. (laughs) (laughs) I will say it wasn't the very first day I could get it because I, in Michigan, I think it was the same. It was 15 and eight or nine or whatever months. And I got mine shortly after I turned 16. But I had an older brother who was driving at the time. And so everything everything I did, pretty much he did. Mm-hmm. So I just tagged along with him. And he had the car anyway. So it was, what, what was I going to do with a driver's license? So I got my license, but it was a little bit a little bit later. And then I, I got a car. You. And I had a job so that I could pay for gas to go in the car. And that was that was the agreement. My parents bought a clunker of a car. I think they put... I think they bought it for two grand. Was that your neon? That was my neon. Yeah, little two-door Dodge Neon Coupe. Oh, it was so great. It was a little four-banger 
a three it was a three speed automatic transmission. Oh, it was great. It was a trash can. It was so awesome. I loved that car. He had to move all the trash in order for me to even get in it. Yeah, and that was after it stopped being so bad. It was really bad there for a while. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. But yeah, freedom. <laughs> freedom. So then she contrasts this boy who has the opportunity, or uh, sorry, this boy who's crammed with other manners. The boy whose mind is crammed with other manners. She contrasts this with a woman who has both a metaphysical and a literary turn. Because when she was 10, she was allowed to browse on old volumes of the specter. Sorry, the spectator. You want to know what the spectator is? I actually am. I didn't look it up because I knew you would. (laughs) The spectator is a weekly British magazine on politics, culture, and current affairs. Oh, sounds like the podcasts I listen to. Maybe not weekly. What were the what were the the politics, culture, and current affairs? Yeah, Ben Shapiro, politics, Rogan current affairs and culture sports i didn't write down the year that it started now i'm curious or if it's still running it is interesting i know that i read that much since 1828 it's a weekly magazine featuring the best british journalists authors critics and cartoonists since 1828 so they're about to hit 200 years in 10 years nine years I can math. Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it, she read magazines. Mm-hmm. And good magazine, good quality magazines. Good, good quality. I feel like National Geographic is magazines, something similar. Magazines where investigate and in, investigative journalists have done. I feel like that's wrong. Investig. I don't think I've ever actually said that word. Investigative invest. <laughs> investigative yeah investigative journalism okay is a form of journalism in which reporters deeply investigate a single topic of interest so yeah investigative journalism is is just that where where the journalist will spend days weeks months years investigating a topic and then write an article about their findings mm-hmm. because they've investigated the topic so much that they've become a mini expert in it so they can now write an article with some amount of knowledge about this thing. And it's a practice that is dying out among the mainstream media. But there are still a lot of investigative journalists around that do these sort of things. A lot of them are migrating to the, the blogosphere. Some of them are migrating to YouTube or doing podcast work. But there's a lot of people out there who are still doing investigative journalism. You just have to look a little bit for it. Tim Poole is is a guy that I've enjoyed a lot on YouTube who does investigative journalism and and he's good at it. So look him Well up. and this this goes also to say, you know, have stuff, literary stuff around your house. Yeah. Books, magazines. Well, I quality, think it, but but have it there available for them to look at. Yeah, curate it. And I think as we move into a digital age. I mean, we're in a digital age, so our children have access to digital media. Still the idea of curating a podcast list. Hey, here's a bunch of great podcasts to listen to. Or these are YouTube videos that 
that you could watch and I would be absolutely okay with. Here's Here are a couple YouTube channels that whenever something comes out, feel free to watch that stuff. It's true. Uh, again, in back to the interview I listened to with Ben Shapiro, he was saying that, oh gosh, I don't remember who he said it was, but he was saying that there was a, there was a political figure who was saying that her son listens to Ben Shapiro. And she was like, I think it's terrible that my son listens to Ben Shapiro because that means that at dinner I have to listen to these ideas regurgitated by my son and they're terrible. And he's a terrible person. <laughs> and I just really wish that Ben Shapiro would get would get knocked off the air so that she doesn't have to deal with her son having dissenting opinions. My thought is, sure, have your child have dissenting opinions. Have him listen to someone else's point of view and we'll talk about it. It sounds great. And point him towards ones that you agree with. Point him towards one that I agree with. Point him towards ones that I don't. Hey, be like, hey, listen to these guys. I don't agree with their thoughts, but they're articulate. And, and listen to them. And we'll talk about their ideas. But curating that list of, of good content to digest. Because it's more now than just the written word. There's, there's a lot of written word that's still out there. But there's visual media, there's auditory media, there's so much out there that is available. And even then, uh, finding people that are worth following on Twitter, finding good Instagram people to follow who post good, thoughtful material. There's so many platforms that people put out ideas on now that, gosh, you can find something on anything wherever you want. And I think that's I think that's one of the things that as our children move into the age of consuming digital media, which they're not there yet, but they're going to get there real quick sometime within the next 10 years, whenever we decide that is. I mean, that puts Ian in high school. But sometime within the next 10 years, our children are going to start consuming digital media. So the question is, well, how do we how do we teach our children to consume digital media? in a thoughtful way, the way that Charlotte Mason would say, consume written media, ignore the twaddle. Cause there's twaddle out there in digital yes. media, but not all digital media is twaddle. So a bit of a side tangent, but that's a, that's a, I would say at this point, that's becoming a passion of mine that we need to teach our children how to consume digital media so that the digital media doesn't take over their lives. Mm-hmm. So the next part. So we're on an you interrupted in me. Art education. I'm sorry. So this experiment, she is an example of her point at the very bottom. Give them opportunity and direction, and children will do the greater part of their own education. That is her thesis of this whole section, mm-hmm. which is a cornerstone of Charlotte Mason education. In my understanding of it right now give them the opportunity and direction and they do the greater part of their education the point is that the child is doing it not the teacher feeding it to them anyways but this example i think based on the little bit i'm thinking it is mary watts the art in 1904 the art workers quarterly said that the Home Arts and Industries Association, which is a society for teaching the working class handicrafts such as wood carving, inlaying, metal, rep- repose, 
basket weaving, leatherworking, bookbinding. She was a part of that organiz- that association, and she worked to create employment for impoverished people through the preservation of rural handicrafts, as well as trained workers in clay modeling. Interesting. And she was a firm believer in the idea that anyone, given the opportunity, could produce things of beauty, and that everyone should have a craft within which they could express themselves creatively. Interesting. Yeah. Because I didn't have much to say about this. Because I, I think it's all summed up there at the very end, very concisely. But it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing. So the the sum of this is whether you have artistic talent or not, give your kids artsy things to do and let them screw around with it. Well, and the other thing is find the person who has the passion. Yeah. This lady maintains that she only let out what was in the boys. But she did more. Her own art enthusiasm forced out artistic effort. And even taking this into account, which she tangents, I wish we might always count on that factor. (laughs) It proves our point that they will do their education. Makes me think of another podcast that started shortly around ours, Bestowing the Brush. I follow her on Instagram and watching her teach her daughter how to art has been fun because I don't know how to art. Me neither. And and that's a shortcoming of mine, but I I just don't. So it's fast. It's been fascinating to watch her art with her child. Pulled out paints today and let the kids paint. Yeah. And there's a cool mural on the wall now on paper that we posted onto the wall, pasted, taped onto the wall. So it was fun. It needs to happen more often and we'll see if that actually happens. Well, and they loved it. They did. They, they got into it. Anne was telling me the story of what the picture is. There's an eclipse happening. Did you know that? I heard him telling you that. Yeah. the That that white spot at the top, that's the moon. The sun is behind it. And it's it, casting a shadow. And it's casting a shadow right there. That's where the eclipse is. <laughs> that's where night is. We'll have to take a picture of that. I think I think we should. But yeah, that's art right there. And then beside it is a blue blob. It's a bunny. No, no, no. Oh. To the other side of it. <laughs> oh, that's Abigail. <laughs> is the blob. Naomi did not want to be on the big paper. She wanted her own little papers. Oh, I didn't post up the little papers. Now I feel bad. They're behind you. I know. I guess there wasn't tape on them. No. Okay. I don't feel as bad anymore. So then this next paragraph, I, I lost her. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I think I got one part of it. I think a cheerful doctrine this, which should help to swell the ranks of the unemployed. I think she's trying to work teachers out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) And get them to be unemployed. That's about all I could get out of this. Oh, wow. I read that backwards. That's funny. (laughs) A cheerful doctrine in this, which should help to swell the ranks of the unemployed. Yeah, she's saying that if we do this, then a bunch of teachers are going to be out of a job. Oops. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So outlets for this, a little direction, a little control, and then we may sit by with folded hands and see them do it. Okay, I do have an example of this. While I was taking notes for this, on this chapter, Isaac and Lily, our twins, were in the kitchen with a little bit of water in the sink and cups and spoons. And I ignored them. 
And they stayed there very happy for a while. I'm impressed that they let you ignore them. They were happy. I gave them the opportunity and a little bit of direction. Mm -hmm. So that was what they were doing. And it ended up all over the floor, and I have towels for that. (laughs) Well, it ended up all over the counter, and then I came in to cook some dinner. And then it ended up all over the floor because I didn't realize it was all over the counter. Yeah. (laughs) But then Naomi and Abigail are two girls were upstairs playing Mommy and Kid, which is a game that they play. So they had a set purpose, a set task mm-hmm. they were doing, and Ian was somewhere. I probably, think he was with his cousins. He was probably over at his cousin's house. But but just that that sit by with folded hands and see them do it. It's really fun to be getting to that point where we can do that, and I'm not being yammered for every two seconds. I was going to say, that's relatively normal for me it's relatively new for me and, and i'm i'm very excited for that because it's an exciting feeling to just kind of sit back and be like hey go play and they turn around and go, they go play and every once in a while they come up to you and be like look at this and you look at it and be like whoa that's cool and then they go off and do their own thing it's something that they both do with the duplos that are down here on a semi-regular basis they'll be building something and then they'll wander over and show me a thing be like look I stacked five blocks on top of another. And I look at it and go, whoa, that's really cool. And then they get the little smile. And then they get their little smile. Or Isaac sticks out his belly a lot. And then they go back to building. Because he's very proud of himself. Very proud of himself. It's and hilarious. Then, and then after a while, he comes back over and like, look, I put another one on the stack. And I go, whoa, you put another one on the stack. So then she talks about two things to be done. Powers to be developed. A little help goes a long way. There there are two things to be done, two powers to be developed, and I don't know what those two are. I wasn't quite sure. I, I don't know. Uh, before that, she talked about, but character is an achievement. Disposition, intellect, genius come pretty much by nature, but character is an achievement. The one practical achievement possible. That's after. What? The two things to be done are listed in that paragraph that oh, I was talking about are. that I lost. Or... I thought I thought we were past that already because I'm, I'm lost. We can move on. I've skipped it. Isn't that what you're supposed to do with things you don't understand? Is just ignore it and pray it goes away? Anyways. But character is an achievement. Disposition, intellect, genius come pretty much by nature. But character is an achievement. The one practical achievement possible for us. Wow. To us, for ourselves, and for our children. Sorry, I missed that. I got going and just lost it. Okay, so Carlisle, Johnson, (laughs) and Boswell's life. James Boswell wrote The Life of Samuel Johnson. Dr. Samuel Johnson was an English writer who made lasting contributions to English literature as a poet, playwright, essayist, essayist, moralist, literary critic, biographer, editor, and lexographer. Lexographer. And he wrote a dictionary. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah, a, that's that's, he a, is that's a short list of accomplishments. Come ar- on. Arguably the most distinguished man of letters in English history. Lame. So Who's that's the who next guy. That's who <laughs> that's who life refers to. Uh, Boswell's life. Oh, OK. Johnson. It's Johnson's life. And so Boswell's life is the book that he wrote about this guy. And it has been claimed to be the greatest biography written in English. And it also helped develop the modern genre of biography. So, so would that be counted as a living book? 
Uh, I guess. And I'm not sure where Carlisle comes into this. He was he reviewed the book at some point. I I spent time looking at that and couldn't find out. So Boswell's life, she's saying, is a more literary success than anything that he did. But mm. what figure does he make? So great people are great simply by reason of their force of character. And that is what they achieve. But for their character, more than their literary successes, Carlyle and Johnson are great. Interesting. So that's... I'm not sure where she's 100% going with this because they're not really contemporaries of ours. Johnson and Boswell. and But that's who they are. Well, she's, she's saying that these traits that you get from your parents, disposition, intellect, genius, they're important and they're good. But just like we talked about in the last chapter with the example of Waverly, Edward Waverly and mental sprawling. Edward Waverly never made anything of himself, even though he was highly intelligent. Genius. And he, he had genius level intelligence, disposition. He had it all and yet didn't make anything of himself. Why didn't he make anything of himself? Because he never achieved character. Hmm. These guys... They achieved character. And look at what they did. Okay. I, I can see that. I think I think that's the contrast that she's pulling out. And you see that you see that play out all the time. Everywhere. There are hyper intelligent people out there who don't do anything. So I guess that kind of answers the question that I was asking last time. What is Charlotte Mason C.S. failure? Well, a hyper intelligent person not achieving character. That's failure. Does it matter what that person does with that character? No, not really. But a person who doesn't achieve character is a failure. So, to, again, jump ahead just a little bit. All <laughs> the way to page 82, no, 10 pages from now. Man alive. It's going to take us a minute. Talking about eccentricity. The world loses a great deal by its splendid failures. The beautiful human beings who, through one sort of eccentricity or another, become ineffectual for the raising of the rest of us. So these people become failures hmm. because, and we'll get into eccentricity later, one or another thing has been exaggerated to a fault. And that is yep. a failure. And in addition to not rising to the your potential, mm-hmm. in addition to not developing your character, that makes a failure. And that's what leads to that eccentricity. Yeah. So I think I think that's what she's doing, pulling out these examples, because she pulled out the example last last time of of Waverly saying that he's a terrible example. Now, he's a literary example, but he's an example nonetheless. Kind of like when I bring up The Wire, she's bringing up Waverly. Don't bring up The Wire. <laughs> you have beat that horse to death. But it's a great show. The first couple seasons of not. it. But it's not. It is. Okay, so the two <laughs> ways of preserving sanity... <laughs> so she she is not refuting the fact that heredity has tendencies which result in character and there are inherited qualities the man who is generous yeah. obstinate hot tempered devout is so on the whole because that strain of character runs in his family there's a bent towards fault or virtue mm-hmm. and it will go on repeating itself except it won't get so exaggerated because of marriage into alien families and education so when she says marriage into alien families does that just mean 
marriage outside of your own family? Yes. Like not marrying your cousin? Yes. Okay. It means foreign. Right, right. I, 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 so I guess I guess then that that's the question is, is she talking specifically about marrying foreigners or is she just talking about marrying people that aren't your own people? Probably both. Because if, if you're talking about in a close-knit village where the entire village gets a bend towards sure. fault or virtue. An alien would be anyone who's not in that village. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So no kissing cousins. Unless you want a single quality that would exaggerate to destroy the balance of qualities we call sanity. Sure, I'm down. That would lead you to insanity. Let's watch it burn. <laughs> Slowly but, sur- but surely, we're researching getting Crystal a new phone. By we means John. John is trying to find me a new phone. And by slowly but surely, I mean I've looked at one so far and I started a spreadsheet. That means I'm researching Two weeks it. ago. <laughs> Two weeks ago. So at this rate, in about five years, we'll get you a new phone. I'll get the best of the best then. From last year. In five years. <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, then there goes a the question of, should I get a flip phone, old school phone? I think you should get a phone like Neo had. It wasn't a flip phone. It was one that you pushed a button and the bottom of it slap, slid down real fast. I had the one that slid up and I loved it. I mean, that's kind of cool, but that's not cool like the phone that Neo had because that was a brick, but it also had the slidey part. I don't care about Neo. I really liked that phone. It was nice. How do you not care about Neo? How He's do you one. care about Neo? He knows Kung Fu. Gosh. <laughs> oh, what a great movie. By the way, that's The Matrix. Which I don't actually think I've seen all of them. Yeah. You want to pull that up and check that? No, that was a Windows notification. Okay. You just want to make sure that nothing's breaking. Oh, Ambleside Wonderland Wonderland liked our Instagram photo. Yay! Thanks, Ambleside Wonderland, for liking our Instagram photo. I will say, it is a lot of fun to see people interact with the things that we post, be it on Instagram or Facebook. Somebody was retweeting our Twitter stuff. (laughs) I have no clue who the people were. One of them, like... Or why they were retweeting our stuff, but... Three people did. Yeah. Six people. We, We had a lot of people... A lot. We had six people <laughs> yeah, I know, right? interacting with our with our Twitter, and I I don't know anything about Twitter, so it was it. I don't know. It's cool to see when people interact with us on the social medias. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.